0: Welcome, everybody, to uh, the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast for real. Okay, D, if you try to <laughs> stop me
1: or vamp out in any way, I will stake you without even thinking twice about it. Last <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. Blah with
0: your co-hosts james d graves and jason colvin all right everybody welcome to the halloween edition of the surely you can't be serious podcast we are here tonight and next week comparing fright night 1985 and the lost boys 1987 i am super jazzed to be talking about these movies jason what do you think man Oh, man, completely
1: fired up. Love these movies. I uh, saw one. I saw Lost Boys in the movie theater, definitely. And uh, Fright Night, I, I, I caught up on HBO, I think, and watched it a bunch. Love them both, though. Very excited to be talking about these.
0: What about you? Super excited to talk about these as well because I was like... 9 and 11 when these movies came out I wasn't seeing them in the theater but uh you know as soon as the folks were away I was pulling them up on the satellite the
1: gigantic satellite dish in the backyard Yes
0: it's the gigantic satellite dish that I had to go out and hand crank to us a- notch inside of a steel pole uh-huh. to, but I, i'm pretty <laughs> sure through some glitchy kind of snow i caught both of these movies
1: these movies are great because they combine not horror but you know sort of thrilling stories with comedy and a sense of style and scares for sure uh, it's just a great combination
0: Yeah, they had kind of resurrected the vampire movie, which had become a mockery in the early 80s. You had Once Bitten and Love at First Bite and several other just kind of cheesy vampire movies that were coming out. And these two movies made vampires cool again. Yeah.
1: I don't know if you remember this movie, but there was a movie called The Hunger that Mm -hmm. starred Susan Sarandon. Who's actually the ex-wife of Chris Sarandon, the head vampire from Fright Night.
0: Right, right. Yeah, it was It was not a good movie. No, it wasn't.
1: Okay, awesome. Let's get into it, man.
0: Yeah, let's jump in. All right, so these two movies, like we said, resurrected the vampire movie and made it cool again. They retained some of the comedic value that had come along, but they definitely made vampires scary and exciting again. The first of these movies to come out was... Fright Night. So do you know the story behind how this movie came to be?
1: Well, I've heard a little bit about Tom Holland who wrote and directed this movie. He was working on a movie that you and I both loved from our childhood called Cloak and Dagger. Yep. And the story that I heard from that was that he was working on Cloak and Dagger and got the idea of sort of a horror movie fan becoming convinced that he was living next door to a vampire and imagined it sort of as a Hitchcockian rear window type of story. What do you know about it?
0: Yes, it's actually based kind of Upon a movie from 1948 called The Window. Rear window was based upon a short story called It Had to Be Murder by a guy named Cornell Woolrich. The Window, which is about a boy who sees the murder, is also based on a Cornell Woolrich book called The Boy Who Cried Murder. Okay. And what happens in the window is there's this boy who, you know, is constantly lying. He's a younger boy, maybe 10, 12, something like that. Constantly lying to people about what's going on, creating tall tales. And one of these tales gets him in big trouble and he decides to, or is forced to sleep out on the stoop of his apartment complex. And when that happens, the night that that happens, there's a murder by his neighbors downstairs. And so when he tries to tell everybody about it, no one will believe him because he's the boy who cried wolf, right? He's right. told all these tall tales. So while he's witnessed this murder, he's trying to convince people and the murderers are trying to get him. So sounds Pretty similar. Pretty similar, that's right. Pretty similar to Fright Night, and also pretty similar to Cloak and Dagger. It was the same type of deal. You know, boy who has this active imagination about action-adventure sees this very action-adventure kind of murder, and nobody will believe him. Meanwhile, the murderers are trying to chase him down. All super similar. And just... You know, you know how my brain works. I'm always making these connections. The actor that portrayed the boy in The Window back in 1948, Bobby Driscoll, you'd know him if you saw him. He was the kid in Treasure Island. He was also in Song of the South. He was in a bunch of Disney movies. And he also was the voice of Peter Pan, to to which of course is one of the three inspirational things for the Lost Boys, right? The lost boys. Yeah, for sure. Sadly, though, the other connection is he's this famous child actor who then gets hooked on drugs falls out in hollywood nobody will put him in anything and ultimately dies due to his drug addiction which is sad almost identical connection to what happened to Corey Haim, too yeah yep that is sad
1: back to fright night and the genesis of fright night so what you were saying about the boy who cries wolf combined with rear window combined with you know old style vampire horror movie. He thought the idea was good, sort of had a genesis, but he didn't think it was enough to go on. His thought process was, okay, so what's he going to do? I mean, who's he going to tell? So he believes there's a vampire next door. Who am I going to tell? And he couldn't quite solve that problem. So he's talking to uh, one of his friends who was uh, the head of the story department at Columbia Pictures, a guy named John Byers. And he said, well, you know, what would you do if that would happen? John's like, I would tell Vincent Price. And he's like, yeah, you know, that's it. And at the time, I don't know if you may remember this, but I definitely remember, you know, Friday night, late at night, uh, there was sort of on my local TV station or some cable channels, there were these uh, horror movie marathons and they would have these hosts that would sort of take you to commercial and stuff like that.
0: Elvira. I I watched Elvira. Elvira, uh, heck yeah. I'm tuning into that. (laughs) Even if the movies are terrible, I'm still going to watch her introduce them. (laughs) Elvira was awesome. Yeah. So Vincent Price had, you know, he had obviously been a huge horror guy back in the 60s and 70s. And kind of this similar pattern. And also a guy who we know from Star Wars, Peter Cushing. Right. Which is how we get Peter Vincent as the character you got Peter Cushing with Vincent Price and both of those guys were in these, some of them really pretty cheesy horror movies, uh-huh, uh-huh. but he fully wanted Vincent Price to come in and play the part of Peter Vincent. But Vincent Price was like, listen, I have been categorized as this horror guy. I don't want, I'm not going to do those things anymore. I'm not, you know, I'm, <laughs> Plus I'm, I'm old. old and I just don't want to do horror movies anymore.
1: <laughs> Plus I might Matthew do a Jackson. horror
0: rap. At the end of a song, <laughs> and I'm not going to do a horror movie.
1: <laughs> Michael has already screwed me out of all this money. I'm not interested in doing any of that stuff anymore. Yeah, so, I mean, Peter Cushing plays Grand Moff Tarkin, who is, like, second in command on the Death
0: Star in Star Wars. He not only kills... Tatooineys, he also kills vampires. (laughs) You don't know how hard I found it, signing the order to terminate your life. Yeah. So Tom Holland, he had written several screenplays and had some that became movies. He had written Psycho 2, which was originally supposed to be just like a straight to cable. But what he thought to himself is, I've got to write a script good enough for Anthony Perkins to come on to play Norman Bates again. And then once Anthony Perkins was in, then they were like, oh, we're going to devote some time and money to this. And it was actually, it was a pretty well-received sequel.
1: Yeah, I've seen it. It's good. I yeah. liked it. Yeah.
0: He also wrote Class of 1984, which... Came out in 82, but was about the violent gangs in high school and had in it as one of the major parts Roddy McDowell as a teacher. He's the teacher that brings the gun to school, right? Oh, cool. Okay. And so, kind of on the success of those two movies, they had wanted somebody else to direct, but he was like, the other movie that he had done, that he had written was called Scream for Help, and he was not happy with the way that it came out. It didn't do very well. And so, he was kind of emphatic about directing this one. Well, at the time, he had at least had, he had done about like 200 commercials directing. He'd done acting work. He was actually in The Incredible Hulk, which yeah. I was just like, wow. <laughs> he was like a karate guy in The, in the Incredible Hulk. Which yeah. was awesome. But he's like, you know, nope, not gonna let you do this unless I'm the director, which just meant basically that they said, okay, but they devoted very little money and or attention to it.
1: They were going to let him direct, but they weren't going to give a lot of time and attention and money to the project
0: right which as it turned out worked out very well for him because he basically ran the show once he was directing it there weren't studio executives in there kind of picking apart what he was doing they were all concerned with perfect which had john travolta and jamie lee curtis which i mean if i was a betting man in 1984 85 i'd have been like yeah sure that movie's definitely going to be a success you're doing another vampire movie that's nice okay whatever
1: yeah i heard this story too so I, perfect with john travolta and jamie lee curtis yeah and the sluggers wife right which was a Neil simon story which i've seen it's a baseball movie it's uh-huh. not any good and i love baseball so <laughs> hey i was going to mention one thing before we got rolling too far away when we're talking about elvira cassandra peterson is the actress who portrays elvira of course she wears a wig and all that stuff yeah. did you know she is in Pee Wee's big adventure uh-huh. and he goes to the biker bar and he's like i'm trying to use the phone and they all decide they're gonna kill him right <laughs> And I say <laughs> we stab him and then we kill him and he says, I say we let him go And there's a woman biker and she's like, I say you give him to me and they all laugh. That's Cassandra Peterson. Nice. Elvira herself. Our, I'm gonna plug Peewee's already Big on, Big
0: on all things Pee Wee. I'm gonna plug Pee Wee's Big Coleman. Adventure every chance <laughs> I get. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much again for tuning in. We are overwhelmed by your support. I wish I could buy every single one of you a cup of coffee, but I can't. But if you would like to buy Jason and I a cup of coffee, you can go to our Patreon page and subscribe for as little as $5 a month. There are extra perks that come along with that. At the $10 mark, you get a pair of great
1: jogging earphones i mean like earbuds they are awesome i'm a big fan of them
0: you've got different levels and uh, you could be one of the executive producers of our show and then moving up from there you could get headphones and coffee cups and all kinds of fun stuff so if you'd like to buy us a cup of coffee give us a little bit of support please check out our patreon page So that's, the, that's how Fright Night was conceived. And then a couple years later, you've got Fright Night that's come out. You've got the Goonies that has come out. And so a couple of writers think, hey, that'd be a good idea. Let's combine the stories of Goonies and Peter Pan, who stays young forever, with vampires because that's how they stay young forever. And so we're going to write a Goonies-style vampire movie. And their names were James Jeremias and Jan Fisher. And... And I was surprised to learn they were paid $400,000 for the script. $400,000. I looked at their history. She's got seven writing credits, three of which are Lost Boys related. And the other <laughs> four are like an episode of Ironside and Golden Girls. I mean, she's got no other writing credits. He doesn't have any other writing credits other than this. And they get paid $400,000 for a script that they ultimately completely changed. I know, man. It sounds awesome. I mean, it only takes one pitch to hit a home run, right? So they had different guys that they had considered to make this movie, one of whom was Richard Donner. Right. And Richard Donner, of course, had been the producer on The Goonies. And Superman. Oh, yes. And the director of Superman. And yes, I mean, he's a, he's a big hitter. I mean, he's he's, he's, a heavy he's one, guy. Of the, one of the big directors of the 80s for sure but ultimately who they ended up with was Joel Schumacher who's got an interesting story I mean I don't know if you've if you've looked into his story but he started off involved in a lot of drugs basically but um, managed to get over his drug habit and got into the fashion world and worked at this department store I believe it's called like Henry Bedell or something like that forgive me because it's not it's like a New York City thing right kind of like Bloomingdale's basically okay but he was a window dresser For (laughs) the store. He'd put all the clothes on the mannequins out there in the storefront. And one day Woody Allen is walking by. He sees it and he's like, Who did this? He gets Joel Schumacher. He's like, I want you to come help me with costuming for my next movie. And suddenly he's in the movies making movies. He wrote the script for a movie called Car Wash. And then in 79, John Landis said you guys are not willing to spend enough money on The Incredible Shrinking Woman. I'm not going to direct it. And so they said, all right, see you later. We'll go get Joel Schumacher to come in and direct The Incredible Shrinking Woman. And I don't. It's been decades since I've seen that movie, but I remember watching it all the time on TV as a kid. Like It would seem like it was just always on, and I loved it. Love Lily Tomlin. Thought it was a great movie. But yes, Joel Schumacher directed The Incredible Shrinking Woman.
1: Okay, that's very interesting. So I remember him from DC Cab.
0: Yeah, the other Mr. T movie of the early 80s. DC Cab and St. Elmo's Fire. So when they when they get him aboard to direct the Lost Boys, he's like, Nope, don't want to do this Goonies thing. Don't want these to be kids. My guess is that he would seen Fright Night at this point and was kind of turned on by the idea of sexy vampires. And so he's like, we're going to have our vampires be young, rock and roll-looking, sexy vampires. Okay, well, let's back up one second. Because
1: before Joel Schumacher came on, Richard Donner was set to direct Lost Boys. Yes. And he was going to direct it as a Goonies-go-vampire type of movie. Uh Uh-huh. But it took a little bit longer than... He wanted it to, he was kind of tired of hanging around. And when it finally came time to to release it, he had another project that he was going to go work on. You might've heard of it, Lethal Weapon.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Lethal Weapon. Yeah, I think (laughs) I've seen that one.
1: (laughs) And so it worked out. I mean, I am so glad that we got The Lost Boys from Joel Schumacher. Yeah. And we got Lethal Weapon with Richard Donner.
0: Right. And then Schumacher brings in another writer to rewrite the script, That writer's name is Jeffrey Boehm, and Jeffrey Boehm is the one who wrote Lethal Weapon 2 and Lethal Weapon 3, and also wrote Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. I mean, he's a stud as far as I can see. I mean, he's written some fantastic scripts. He
1: also wrote Innerspace, which is a favorite of mine.
0: Oh, I love that movie. Yes. Tuck Pendleton Machine, Zero Defects. (laughs) what's amazing is how many people that were in this movie were like unknown actors at the time that they got cast in this movie. You've got, you've got Kiefer Sutherland, you have got Jason Patrick, you've got Alex Winter, you have got Corey Haim. Corey Feldman was pretty well known at this point. He was. um, But this certainly didn't hurt his career at all. And, and then you've got some real veterans out there. You've got uh, Diane Wiest. You've got Edward Herman, Edward Herman, I always get him and Fred Munster confused.
1: <laughs> and then you've got... You had Bernard Hughes as a grandpa. Yeah,
0: read the TV guide. You don't need a TV. Bernard Hughes, who I remembered from a, a TV show when I was a kid called Mr. Merlin. Did you ever watch Mr. Merlin? I don't think he played, so. It was like know. supposed to take place in modern times, except he was Merlin the magician from, from King Arthur days. Yeah, right? yeah, right. Right. And then, of course, he was also the crotchety old doctor in Doc Hollywood, which is another favorite movie of mine.
1: <laughs> okay, so let's back up. Let's talk about the cast of Lost Boys for real, real quick, because you're absolutely right. These guys were unknowns at the time. They so, had
0: tried to get Jason Patrick, and Jason Patrick said, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. Kind of
1: like Richard Dreyfus. They had to chase him, <laughs> Right. right? Let's all right. say it together. Let's say it together. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not doing this movie. <laughs> they went after Jason Patrick, who I don't know if you know this or not. He is Jackie Gleason's grandson. <laughs> Jackie Gleason of Smoking the Bandit. There's no way that you could come from my loins.
0: When well, we get home. <laughs> Punch your mama
1: right in the mouth. <laughs> Jason Patrick was Jackie Gleason's little possum pecker.
0: So, <laughs> 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 so yeah, so he turned, he turned the movie down. He didn't want to be flying around and biting people on the neck and stuff. And so he said, no, Kiefer Sutherland, obviously, I mean, is the son of Donald Sutherland, who was a huge actor in the 70s. And so I always kind of had that same kind of idea that, hey, he's just a, he's following in the family business, right? But it turns out like Kiefer Sutherland didn't, really grow up with Donald. He lived in Canada with his mom. He ran away from home when he was 15 years old and really decided to go out and be an actor and just did it on his own. He told his folks about it after he had already started having some success with it. But I saw this interview where they were talking to Jason Patrick and Kiefer Sutherland and the interviewer says, you know, I heard that you guys both turned this down. And Kiefer Sutherland was like, I didn't turn it down. I would have done a Campbell soup commercial at that stage of my life. <laughs> because
1: he hadn't done anything. He had done at close range, right? Joel Schumacher was moved by his appearance at the very end of at close range. It's a courtroom scene. And basically he was emoting, just using his face right. and stand by me. He had filmed, but it hadn't been released yet. So he hadn't really didn't have a lot to stand on. Right. So to speak.
0: Here's a story on that real quick. It's totally sidetrack. All right, sidetrack. That's okay. So he was in that movie with all of those guys, including Corey Feldman, but also River Phoenix, right? Yes. In Stand By Me. She's, and yeah. he knew how to play the guitar. River Phoenix was learning how to play the guitar. And if you don't know, Stand By Me is based upon a Stephen King story called The Body. And that's what the original name of the movie was going to be, was The Body. right? And so he's... You know, between takes, when they're not working, he's working with River Phoenix on the guitar, and he's like, oh, do you know the song Stand By Me? That's a simple one. It's a good one to start off with, and he starts to teach him how to play it, and while they're sitting there playing it, Rob Reiner walks by, and he's like, oh, Stand By Me. I love that song, and like three weeks later, that became the title of the movie. Wow,
1: that is a great story that I have never heard. That is really cool. Just as a side note, The Body, Stand By Me, written by Stephen King. Yeah. Yeah. Fright Night, there are a lot of similarities to a Stephen King story called Salem's Lot. Back to the cast.
0: Yeah, so we're still, we're working on the cast of Lost Boys. Lost Boys still. Okay, so ultimately Joel Schumacher met with Jason Patrick and convinced him to do it by saying that he would allow him to have some creative input on how to handle things. And Kiefer Sutherland said he was actually kind of instrumental in the way that the movie turned out. Interestingly, he and Kiefer Sutherland are very close friends, but whenever for Sutherland broke off his engagement with Julia Roberts, she ran off to Europe with Jason Patrick and they were a couple out there.
1: I know. I know. That's awkward, but I've heard him talk since then. Their yeah.
0: friendship has
1: outlasted that little trade-off. So out- good for them. Outlasted the runaway bride. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Jason Patrick was also very instrumental in hiring Jamie Gertz. They they would not have hired her only because of Jason Patrick's insistence. She had been in a movie with him called Solar Babies. When they were looking to hire an actress for the part of Star, Schumacher was looking for someone a little more like Meg Ryan. Blonde. Right. Sort of shorter haircut. Burnett was not even on the board. But you know what? As a 14-year-old boy at the time, we're very thankful that they went with Jamie Gertz.
0: Right. Nothing wrong with Meg Ryan, but yeah, Jamie Gertz. She had her she had her hot going on in this movie. Yeah, majors. So they've got all of these newbies and then they they, they said, Let's swing for the fences and let's try to get Diane Weiss to play the mom. Now she's just won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress for Hannah and her sisters. So they're they're just thinking there's no way. Nope. She totally said, Yeah, sounds great. Let's yeah, do it.
1: Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the introduction of the two Corys, right? Corey Feldman and Corey Haim became friends on this movie, and they did a bunch of movies together. You know, movies like Dream a Little Dream and License to Drive, and some fun License 80s to movies.
0: Drive. Heather Graham, <laughs> so pretty.
1: But this movie gave us Alex Winter, yeah, Bill S. Preston Esquire <laughs> as a vampire. Yep. How yep. cool is that? Excellent. <laughs> okay.
0: Flip back to casting for Fright Night. Did you ever watch the Edison Twins? No, not familiar with it. I them. watched it all the time. Apparently, that was Corey Haim's first big role. His sister was the one who wanted to be an actress, and he would just go with her to her auditions. Um, but they noticed him there, and so he got he got parts and various things, started acting when he was 10 in the Edison Twins. And, of course, he did Lucas, which is a, a huge one from the 80s. Charlie Sheen, who was up to be cast as Charlie in Fright Night. I know. It's awesome. But Tom Holland looked at him and said, no, you look like a hero. You look like a superhero. (laughs) You're too good looking. No. Out you go. We want somebody who looks more like the boy next door. And I think that they cast it perfectly. I do too.
1: William Raxdale does a great job. He is whiny enough, but you can see him trying to become a man. You know what I mean? Yeah. Charlie Sheen just walks in the room and's like, I'm going to go kick his butt. And you believe it? So, <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> he had been he had had a failed audition, decided, you know what? I I've met that casting director. I'll I'll give her a call and see if, you know, if I can take her to lunch. And so he said, "You want to go to lunch?" And she said, No, but I do have a part (laughs) that you'd be perfect for. Why don't you come out and audition for this Fright Night movie?
1: Let's talk about Chris Sarandon for a second. Okay. Before Fright Night, I didn't know who this guy was. To me, he's he's always going to be Jerry Dandridge, the killer cool
0: vampire. To me, he's always going to be Prince Humperdinck. I've got my bride to kill, my wedding to plan. It's <laughs> month. Like Jason Patrick, he was not excited about doing this movie and was going to turn it down. He had been in another kind of horror type movie called The Sentinel. It was not a good experience for him. And that's kind of ironic because both The Sentinel and Scream for Help, which was the Tom Holland movie that he was super disappointed about, were both directed by the same guy, both directed by Michael Winner. So Michael Winner, not a winner. apparently. <laughs> so what happened was he read the, he started reading the script and he couldn't stop. He couldn't put it down. And he said to his wife at the time, this is actually an amazing story. I'm just still a little worried about how it's going to turn out on film. And so within the next couple of days, he's arranged a meeting with Tom Holland. And Tom Holland had so much love and devotion to this script that he was able to go through basically shot by shot with Chris Sarandon about what was going to happen. And basically played the whole movie for him in two hours just by reciting it to him and chris said i'm in let's do it
1: that's awesome i love that love that story when a director is that passionate about a project and can sell an actor and say hey come do this with me we're going to make this really cool project it's great yeah one of the guys i think that um does an amazing job is stephen jeffries the guy who plays evil ed
0: yeah so he had just come from a movie also with amanda Bierce in it called fraternity vacation which yep is not a good movie. <laughs> it's just one of those, you know, dumb. It's you know, a spring college, break. Yeah. yeah. Spring break movie. I believe it had Tim, Tim Robbins, Robbins in it, who of course then went on to nuclear be partnered with Susan Strandon from, yeah. From Bull Durham. That's interesting. an interesting thing. So, yeah. So Stephen Jeffries and Amanda Bierce were both in fraternity, fraternity vacation, vacation at the time that they got cast in fright night.
1: Okay, so Amanda Bierce was the last actor cast for Fright Night.
0: Yeah. And I I think Stephen Jeffries
1: even said, hey, I just got done working with this girl. They had played a couple in that movie. Yep. Yeah. And he's like, hey, she was good. She looks like the girl next door. And they brought her in and she was perfect. Yeah. You know, she she was 27 when she did Fright Night, which I think was really good because over the course of the movie – she goes from naive, scared, prude teen to sexy active, woman. sexy, passionate vampirist. You need a woman to pull that off, I think.
0: And Stephen Jeffries, you know, he had been he had thinking he had been thinking that he was going to get cast in the role of Charlie Brewster, and was actually disappointed when he found out that he was going to be evil Ed. But he is one of the most memorable parts in the whole movie.
1: Oh, you're so cool, Brewster. <laughs> You know what other movie he was in? At Close Range with Kiefer Sutherland. Oh, yeah. How
0: about that? Fantastic. So Vincent Price said he's not going to be Peter Vincent.
1: So they talked to Vincent Price. He turned him down, of course. He was not well health-wise, and he wasn't really interested in doing horror movies at that time. Roddy McDowell had been in Planet of the Apes and a movie that I used to watch a lot called The Black Hole. But they went to him and said, hey, we're doing this horror movie. We want to play it as a Vincent Price type of character and Uh he said in his mind he was like i'm going to play this as like a bad imitation of vincent price so they went to him and he was like yeah okay i think i can
0: do something with this what he decided was he was not going to be he was going to be the ham actor who could never do anything better than these bad horror movies and they've had that character that in that first scene that you see him in the tv and he's got the he's got the spike and he's about to drive (laughs) it into the he's (laughs) got the spike backwards (laughs) it's that is
1: so funny and a lot of people don't realize that he's going to go stake the vampire, and it's the business end of the stake is pointing the wrong direction.
0: <laughs> okay. So, did you know that there were actually TV shows called Fright Night? <laughs> really? Yes. So, back in the, the 70s, there were a couple of different shows. One was broadcasted by an LA station, one was by its sister station in New York City, but it was called Fright Night. And okay. the host originally, when it started back in 1970, they called him Sinister Seymour, but his real name, Larry Vincent. So hey, got to be the inspiration, right? It's like Peter Vincent's cousin, right? <laughs> yes. yes, exactly. <laughs> and he would just he would make fun of the audience for watching the movies that they were putting on because they were just really the worst. Of the worst B-horror movies, so he would call them Four Flushers, and, and <laughs> it was a hard time. But then Larry Vincent died in 1975. Another guy takes over for a while, and eventually the show's looking like it's going to die out. But then in 1981, they decide to revive the show, and do you know who the new host is? Tell me. Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and they renamed it Movie Macabre.
1: That is awesome, man. I love Elvira.
0: What other podcast are you going to get that kind of information? (laughs) That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Jonathan Stark
1: plays Billy Cole, who he had been involved in like Second City. He was an improv type of guy, mostly comedic type of stuff.
0: When he came in to do his audition, he did the part where Charlie has brought the cop over to try to find the dead body or whatever accusing jerry of murder and so he looked at that scene and said to me the way to play this is to play it funny (laughs) so i'm going to improv it a little bit and i'm going to play it up as funny and that's what went in the part and it was a great they did a great job with that scene he and the the cop who was played by art evans they did a fantastic job of kind of riffing off each other in that scene to make it. Funny, and that's and it went better that way. It went better to have them making fun of Charlie because that's really kind of what would happen, right? Yep, for sure. And then, of course, an extremely well played performance of (laughs) Hooker by Heidi Sorensen, who has also been in Spies Like Us, Sharp Looking Lady. She was the Playmate of the Month, July
1: 1981. Say it. Google search.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> she when she did her part. Okay, uh, we have to talk about this. I don't know if this will make the final cut, but <laughs> the director of the movie really wanted her to be stunning and something that would really catch Charlie's eye. Yes. So he, wa- so he wanted. He wanted It Was cold
0: enough to- outside?
1: Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so he went to the costume designer and said, "Do you think uh, you could tell her to, you know, rub ice on her?" Nips to try and, you know, get Charlie's attention. Yep. And so she did. And effective. Yeah, effective. <laughs> we're giving it up to Heidi Stormson
0: Yeah. So a couple of similar events happened in both of these movies um, involving the breaking of bones. So Kiefer Sutherland is plays David in The Lost Boys, and he's, they did all of their own motorcycle scenes, right? Right. They're, they all drove their own motorcycles. And so at some point between takes, he's on his motorcycle on the boardwalk, and there's this kind of hot girl walking around at the boardwalk. And so he starts hopping wheelies to show off for her and ultimately loses control, runs the bike into the railroad tracks, which falls over on top of him and (laughs) breaks his arm in three places. You will notice that some point in the movie that he, a hand becomes gloved and stays gloved throughout the, the remainder of the movie. Well, Jamie Gertz didn't know about this, right? And so they're doing these motorcycles and because it's his right hand, that's broken. They had to, they had to revamp the, do you like that pun? Nice. Revamp.
1: Revamping. They had
0: to revamp the motorcycle and put the throttle on the left hand side. And so she gets on the back of the bike, ready to shoot this scene. And she's looking, and she's like, "Why is it on the other side?" And then she sees his arm. She's like, "What happened to your hand?" And he's like, "I broke my arm in three places." And she's like, "Are you sure you can drive this thing?" <laughs> and he goes, "Well, we'll see." And takes <laughs> off. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So, yeah, I thought that was an interesting story. So, Kiefer Sutherland broke his wrist. William Ragsdale injured his foot when he was running down the staircase during the last shot filmed on Christmas Eve, 1984, just three weeks into principal photography. So, he was. this is the scene where he had to come down the stairs and meet Jerry the vampire, right? Right. Which, that the scene is kind of goofy anyway because anytime I call my teenager to come downstairs for me, he's like whistling a tune and coming down sure bomb what's going on i'm like that never happens <laughs> right. in my house the director said okay let's try it again just do it faster uh-huh. and this is literally the last shot before they break before christmas break yep. yeah and he stumbles and falls and breaks his foot when he's coming down the stairs
0: yeah they he's he falls and he's like i sprained my leg guys and so they go grab some ice and are icing it up and the guy who's the sound guy comes over to tom holland and says. It's not sprained. It's broken. Yeah. He's like, what? He goes, I heard it. I heard it break. And the they sound. went and had an x-ray. Yeah. 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 And it's, sure enough, it was broken. So he had to postpone his more active scenes until later on in the movie. Wow.
1: That's cool. Let's talk about location for a second. Okay. Both of these have an interesting location, I think. Yeah. So Fright Night was filmed at the same Hollywood backlot as the burbs you ever seen the tom hanks movie the burbs
0: love it yeah also has cory feldman and of
1: course yep same street and then of course the lost boys there's that's shot in santa cruz california uh-huh. you have the santa cruz boardwalk and you have that amusement park right there setting heavy lost boys and yeah. they were actually reluctant to have the movie film there because of the murder capital of the world line from the lost boys and yep. that place, Santa Cruz, had had a murderer in the '70s who was who had gone on a on a killing spree, and so they were real reluctant to have the murder capital of the world story. But because the movie made the the boardwalk look really cool and fun, they decided to to do it. So from
0: 1970 until early 1973, Santa Cruz was terrorized by two serial killers and one mass murderer. Turning the once sleepy beach town into the murder capital of the world. So there were actually three killers in wow. a three-year period operating heavily at the time. So it really was the murder capital of the world. That's crazy.
1: Isn't that, isn't that insane? Yeah. Santa Cruz. I think it'd be cool to go out there sometime. I think that uh, that infamous roller coaster is still there and still operates. And I know that every summer they have a free beach movie series that they show while they're out there and Lost Boys is on that list. They
0: always show the Lost Boys. So in addition to the two broken bone stories, We also have two going out in costume stories. Kiefer Sutherland and Jason Patrick were in the midst of the scene where they're fighting each other and they're both vamped out and they broke for lunch and Kiefer was like, man, I don't want to eat the studio food again. Let's go get something to eat. (laughs) So they went out in like full makeup, out driving to go get a burger or something and somebody... (laughs) This, they pull up to the stoplight and some lady looks over at them and she, she goes, you're disgusting and then drives off (laughs) and he he was like we felt like we were a success for the day (laughs) and uh same thing happened to jonathan stark yeah jonathan
1: stark okay yeah yeah
0: jonathan stark had been in the he was he had finished up with the scene where he melts and so they get done shooting (laughs) for the day and he's like oh hey can i go shower off before i go home and they're like oh now the plumbing's messed up you can't shower here he's like okay well i guess i'm just going to drive straight home so he gets in his car and of course he's almost out of gas so he gets stopped <laughs> stop at a gas station and he says the guy he goes to a full service station the guy walks up to his window and just turns white he got the gas for him didn't say anything but like as soon as he pulls off he's looking in his rearview mirror and he sees the guy running for the phone and he's <laughs> like sure he's calling the cops i'm gonna have the cops pull me over on the way to my house <laughs> You talked about this before, the Billy Idol haircut. Yeah. So you had said, hey, I've heard this. I haven't confirmed it. I've got it confirmed. I heard the story from Kiefer Sutherland. Here it is. You okay. ready? Yeah. Okay. You. So so Joel Schumacher says to Kiefer Sutherland, listen, I want these guys to look like rock and rollers. So let your hair get long, stay long, but I want it to be white. And so Kiefer Sutherland's letting his hair grow really out it's already pretty long then he does the white hair and he says i looked like rick flair the rest of the- <laughs> He's like i look ridiculous with his long white hair and he said so right at this time billy idol had just gone out solo he had just left generation x He'd gone out solo and was super popular and so he was like i'll get the top cut like billy idol's hair and i'll leave the back long so that's how you get That's how you get David's haircut. He didn't invent the mullet, but he certainly made it popular for another few years after, after that movie came out. The kind of uh, Bosworth. Yeah. Business up front party in the back.
1: No, I definitely agree. It's, it's Billy Idol mixed with a little bit of Ryan Bosworth. Very cool. And then, the final fight scene is basically billy idol fighting jim morrison
0: yeah because jason patrick really does i I have to think that's why they wanted him so bad is because how how much he looked like jim morrison back then because they've got the huge jim morrison poster in the in the sunken hotel right they play the doors people are strange in the intro of the movie Uh, there's definitely a jim morrison bent going on there for sure Okay,
1: I've got something on production that both of these have in in common that I thought was interesting. Go ahead. Okay, think back to 1986. If you had vision problems and you needed contacts, they're not the soft, comfortable, easy-going things that we have today. They're made of glass. They're uncomfortable. They're difficult to put in. So both of these movies feature full-on, entire-eye glass, contacts yeah. that were that were super cool they they are super effective in the movie uh-huh. but uh very painful can only shoot for three or four minutes and then you got to pull them out yeah not something i want to do very often but uh but th- they're very very cool looking um stephen jeffries actually had some temporary blindness and had
0: severe scratches because of these So Jonathan Stark had originally, he was supposed to have those lenses in when he's coming up the stairs at him, like the old Abbott Costello routine. Yep. Um, But he kept tripping on the stairs. so Just Just take them out. Just take them out. And Amanda Beers was like, when they put hers in, she was like, this is unbearable. I didn't know how bad this was. It's really unbearable. And then they realized they hadn't sanded it down. So she actually had a rough edge on these glass contact lenses. Oh my gosh. But- probably the most important thing that happened from these glass contact lenses is with Kiefer Sutherland in lost boys, that moment in the movie where he sheds a tear. Uh-huh. It is because of the glass contact. <laughs> and shooting and shooting. And like it was supposed to be, you know, you're done in seven minutes. And he was like on minute eight and it was just like, I could not stop it from happening. <laughs> Just could not stop it.
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. I heard him talking about it. So the scene where they're hanging upside down in the cave. So Uh he's talking about the filming process, right? You have this really long, he said they were 40 feet up in the air, dangling from the top of the cave. He said, which that took time to get them up there, set up, ready to go. They had to put those stupid contacts in their eyes. Uh Uh-huh. So they had all this effort, plug their eyes. Okay, here we go. Ready, action. And you got like three or four minutes to get everything you've got. And then, okay, that's it. Get them down, take the things out of their eyes. So just a tremendous amount of effort to get that shot. But again, it works. It's really good.
0: We're kind of moving into special effects a little bit. So before we get there, I just want to tell one quick story. So Kiefer Sutherland talks about how much he learned about acting from this movie. You know, obviously you've got a a lot of young, very new actors, but you've got these handful of older, more experienced actors. And he says he can remember shooting the scene with Diane Weist, where she's making the call. You remember when they're in the restaurant and she comes to talk on the phone to Sam because he's freaking out because Michael's Uh, on. Mom, he's coming to get me. Uh, Mom. Yeah. So she when she picks up the they're shooting the scene when she picks up the phone she takes out her earring and puts the phone up and Joel Schumacher's like cut and he's like Diane what's wrong and she's like what are you talking about? And he goes, well, you took your earring out. Is there something wrong with your, your earring? And she's like, no, I'm about to talk on the phone. That's what a woman does when she's about to talk on the phone is she, she takes her earring out so that it doesn't smash her earring. And Kiefer Southern like was, that was such an impactful moment because you have to bring the reality of your own world to whatever character that you're playing. And it was just kind of neat to see that play out.
1: That's cool. Okay. Yeah, I've got an, I've got another little tidbit. Interestingly, the word Michael is said 108 times in the Lost Boys. Yeah. And there's, you can go to YouTube and, and, and have a video of every time it's said. Dings for Michael, you. Michael, 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 But in, <laughs> in Fright Night, the word Charlie is said 62 times. Yep. Just kind of interesting. They, they say Kinda the main like, character's <laughs> name a bunch. Kind of like Titanic. Jack, Jack, Jack,
0: <laughs> Jack,
1: Jack, Jack. Uh, So before we move into special effects, I've got a couple of tidbits from Fright Night that I want to throw at you. So one of the sort of interesting things that they discover in Jerry's house is this painting of a woman who looks very similar to Amy. That was actually Chris Sarandon's idea. He wanted Jerry Dandridge to have a humanity to him. So the fact that amy represented a long lost love of jerry was an extra layer to that character that chris randon came up with and also the fact that he when he first approaches charlie in his room
0: and give you something i don't have
1: gives him a choice
0: choice
1: he's got him up against the wall he's totally overpowered him and he asks charlie he says forget about me charlie if i kill you that would give you something that i don't have a choice what do you uh-huh. say? Forget about me. And Charlie pulls out a crucifix, and you see that that scene, it, the emotion of that scene. It's like it it saddens and disappoints Jerry. It's sad because he has to kill Charlie.
0: Yeah, he's like, and even
1: though he's a total vampire badass, he still has a humanity to him.
0: So, the apple bit. You know, he's always yeah. walking around. That was another. That was another contribution by Chris Sarandon. He was like I. I just had, you know, I wanted, I'm looking for ways to make him more human or give him humanity, like you said. And so I started reading about bats and I learned that 90% of bats are actually fruit bat type of bats. You know, they eat fruit for survival. Uh And so I just decided that I've got some fruit bat DNA in my ancestry. And so that's why I'm always walking around eating these apples uh, with the idea that I'm cleansing my palate after I've devoured a victim
1: super cool super subtle and he even uses the apple to kind of draw charlie out neat idea i think here's something that i thought was really cool just another little tidbit from behind the scenes at fright night the cast and crew members of fright night recalled that roddy mcdowell spent tons of time videotaping behind the scenes he had his own little camera little camcorder and uh, videotaping nobody ever saw the tapes and nobody knows where they are
0: we ready to move on to special effects
1: let's try to go for special effects
0: Okay, so the when they decided to do Fright Night, they're like, let's give Rick Baker a call because who else are you going to call if you've got a monster movie but Rick Baker? Right. And Rick Baker said... No, I don't really want to do that, but you guys should give Richard Edlund a call. And Richard Edlund was kind of like his main guy, had helped him out with Star Wars. And Richard Edlund and a lot of the guys who did the Fright Night stuff had just finished with Ghostbusters, which has some pretty cool special effects, yeah. right? I mean, you do not really think of it because it's such a comedy, but Ghostbusters actually had some really pretty cool special effects. and so And it was a much higher budget film. And so they come over from... Ghostbusters to do do this movie and they do all kinds of cool stuff just amazing things that they do with the bats when Jerry gets stabbed with the pencil and he has his transformation yeah. I mean Jerry Jerry cannot handle pain right he's he- <laughs> he's got some humanity, you know, in his choice giving and his apple eating. And then he's also got some monster in his, I can't handle pain. And I'm a little bit petty. He was a little, I felt like he's a little bit petty. I felt like the cooler vampires would have let uh, some more of that stuff goes, but he was just like, no, I'm just a guy who's kind of a bully about things. So this is the way it's going to be. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, so he, that destroyed, he,
1: he destroyed Charlie's car for the fun of it because he's going to kill him the next night anyway. Right. What is that about? You're going to kill me, but you got to trash my car? Really? That car, by
0: the way, was Tom Holland's car. I don't know if you knew that. Tom Holland's car. Um, Oh, Cool. Yeah, so Steve Johnson was one of the main special effects guys who's just hilarious. There's a great documentary on Fright Night, and he the guy is funny. Like, his the first thing that he says is, I love doing this movie. I mean, for one thing, they had a lot of cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> and so he was the guy responsible for the pencil through the hand thing. And he had seen, you know, when you're a special effects guy, when you watch a movie, what are you going to do but look at the special effects, right? Right. So he had seen Excalibur, and there's this scene where – Lancelot is naked and he gets a sword through like his abdomen and you can see, you can see the sword going in and you can see the sword on the other side of him. Uh And then the sword, he pulls the sword out and you know, a point comes out and the point isn't behind him anymore. And he's just like, how the heck did he do that? How did they do that special effect? And so it was this, really kind of tricky thing he turns just momentarily as he's pulling the sword and he's like they had to have a string on that point that they had in the back and a retractable blade for the front and so when he pulls it out the retractable blade comes out and as he turns somebody yanks that point off with a string so you never see it and so he went through that whole process with pencil in the hand he's like right You're going to see the pencil going through his hand and then you're going to see him pull the pencil out of his hand and it's going to be awesome and so he rigs the whole thing up they do the scene it works perfectly and they start watching uh dailies now i I think it was even after dailies it's like like they had done a pretty well one of their final edits yeah yeah and he's watching with tom holland and tom holland does an intercut scene of charlie's reaction as he's pulling the pencil out and he's like you ruined the effect. Yeah. He's like, everybody's going to just think that it happened while you did the cutaway. This was, you know, you've ruined it. So Tom Holland was like, okay, okay. Yeah. We, will take the, we will take the reaction shot out for you and your special effect.
1: That's a great story. And we don't have practical effects hardly anymore at all. These weren't computers. They didn't have green screens and they didn't do all this stuff. So they looked
0: real because they were real.
1: Right. And we've lost that, I think. Anytime there's lots of times I watch a movie, I'm like, these stupid computer effects—they look like junk.
0: It's it's like watching American Werewolf in Paris after having seen American Werewolf in London.
1: Exactly. You're like, exactly.
0: What the heck is that? The actors had to endure hours and hours, like Chris Sarandon, to get into his makeup, like the full-on monster. To out, Chris Sarandon took eight hours, and they had to, he had to do that for several days, and so. He was just there bored and he said, Is, can you guys teach me how to do something so that I can do something for you right, guys? Yeah. Maybe we speed this up a little bit and I'm not going insane while I'm just sitting here. And so he ended up putting the finger. They showed him how to put the finger extensions on when he had the long pointy fingers. So Chris Sarandon, you know, learned to do some special effects for the movie. And then they had they had Stephen Jeffries in the wolf costume. I, mean, I don't know if you call it a costume. I mean, they they basically made him the wolf, and that was like eighteen hours. Yep. and pretty brutal. He had and he had that. Fa- I mean, the most, maybe the most memorable scene in the whole movie to me is the scene where they where he burns the cross into his forehead. Such which a cool scene. Fantastic! It's brilliant. Brilliant scene. They had to uh, use. He had to go through the wolf process and it was miserable for him as well. Um, But they did, they had a really great, the transforming process when that wolf is crawling along and he's half wolf and half man. It's I'm, I was sitting there going, is this a machine? Is this a person that looks real? I can't figure out how they're doing it. They did a really great job with it. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. That's that scene is truly heartbreaking.
1: Every time I watch the movie, yeah. where evil ed is has been stabbed and is transforming back to the boy and he reaches out i i, I saw an interview with chris Sarandon talking about the finger extensions right uh-huh. and they they are super effective they look really cool we can talk about some of the vampire lore that we see throughout these movies but he talked about how the the finger extensions although they looked cool it did make it difficult for him to go to the bathroom <laughs>
0: okay that will do it for this episode please come back for our next episode where we will continue the conversation we're going to talk more about the composers and the awesome soundtracks involved here some of the special stories involved you you can't miss it come back for the second episode of fright night versus the lost boys next week awesome d it's been fun man yeah see you guys next week